The nail in the coffin! I'm Tom, he's Travis, and welcome to the first episode of the fourth year of The Nail in the Coffin, our weekly Cleveland sports podcast. It's Monday night, and we start tonight with a couple of head coaches who are not going to be making it to year four in Cleveland, Trav. Yeah, they barely made it through year three, at least with with, uh, Hugh Jackson. Pretty rough little 48 hours if you happen to be a head coach uh, of a team that's currently playing. I... Uh, (laughs) <laughs> I was just going to say, I texted you. We got the the Ty Lu news with the Cavs uh, around noon yesterday, that being Sunday. And uh, what was the first thing I told you? I said, do we do a podcast tonight to discuss this, or do we just wait until tomorrow when the Browns fire Hugh? We, and, yeah, we didn't even need to wait 24 hours. No, we did not. But here we are. Uh, only in Cleveland can you have uh, the uh, coach who just came off of three straight NBA Finals appearances uh, guided your city to its only championship in 52 years, uh, getting fired, and uh, that not be the lead of your podcast for the week. Um, but yeah, it's uh, that, that's where we're Here at. Here we are. This is Cleveland. <laughs> so you, I don't think we've kind of talked about Hugh Jackson's job status a whole lot on here. We've texted about it, and I feel like for a while you had kind of not really seen the point in getting rid of him before the end of the year. I think we both kind of agreed that he was probably a, a lame duck through this season. Is that fair to say? Um, not necessarily. I think he probably had an opportunity to, to earn an, another year. Um, I think it was unlikely that he would do that, but um, I won't necessarily call him a lame duck because I do think they brought him back for year three, kind of under with the understanding that years one and two, he wasn't given anywhere near a shot to succeed anyways. So they were going to give him at least a year to show what he could do with with a semi-competent roster. Um, ultimately, I don't know that I really understood or knew of of the strife sort of behind the scenes between him and specifically Todd Haley. And I think that's probably more... I think that probably more caused this sudden uh, sudden decision than the the win loss record itself, because it seems like we're finding out today there was a lot more chaos going on behind the scenes than just hey we're not winning a lot of games. Yeah, I mean there have been a lot of hints dropped. I, I think those two guys have been kind of. I mean we saw them kind of bumping heads on hard knocks during the preseason. You know the, it, it was you know big things like. Last week, you jumping in and saying, oh, I might have to, you know, get more involved with the offense, which seemed to be a pretty big middle finger to Haley. Um, There were petty little things like, you know, the Philly special play that they ran on that Thursday night game. And he was saying, oh, yeah, that was that was our own thing that we've kind of had filed away. And Haley coming out a day later, be like, oh, no, we completely stole that from the Eagles. Um, You know, Josh Gordon not going to start the opener. Yes, he is starting. Uh, well, that just happened to be the the package that we started the game with, and it just left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the whole thing about giving him a chance to Hugh. This is to work with um, a semi competent roster because honestly, I I think in a weird way, for he was on borrowed time. I really feel like after last year. And, oh yeah, absolutely. 
and, and maybe that's not fair because I mean they were pretty clearly tanking the the first two years that he was here. But I really feel like in a weird way that the way this is going to work out, it's ultimately going to help them quite a bit with landing their next coach. Because if you really think back, like had they fired him this past January when he was one and 31 through two years, um, you know, I mean, there's a case for that. I mean, the the roster sucked, but I think there were some games in there that he probably could have won at least a few. Uh, The green Bay one certainly comes to mind from last year. Um, and the other thing to keep in mind at that point, you know, John Dorsey had just taken the job as GM, you know, he had had some success in Kansas city, but I think as we've seen with some of the other uh, guys in the, both the front office and coaching positions that the Browns have brought in over the years, past success does not necessarily guarantee future results. So you didn't really know what you were getting there. Um, you had no quarterback. I mean, Miles Garrett looked pretty good when he played, but he had some injuries and, and was off the field at times last year. Um, you know, and you had an owner who was pretty clearly trigger happy with firing coaches. And, you know, if he had fired Hugh after saddling him with that roster um, and a disaster of a front office for two years, um, you know, tanking was pretty clearly the plan. I don't know any coach at that point who's in any kind of demand who's going to come in and take that job. Whereas, like, now I, I know it's only eight games. But, you know, we got to see a little bit of what he could do with a roster that was built to actually try to win games. And, you know, we had some promising early returns, but these past three weeks, man, everything's just been spiraling again. And, you know, the the excuses, they just run out. Yeah, it's it's sort of weird because we watched, you know, through the first few games, they they got a couple wins. They had that tie against the Steelers. We said it a few weeks ago, you know, we were actually looking forward to watching the Browns again. And right when we finally got to that point, um, they've just kind of shut the bed the last couple of weeks, right? It's so unbelievable. It's, it's 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 so different from how we were feeling through week like what five? Um, I can't they, believe I can't walk, which, walking walking yeah. out of that stadium against the Ravens and where we were at that point, two and two and one, with uh, another home game coming up against the Chargers a week later, and everybody's feeling great and. It has just been uh, an avalanche ever since. Right. right. And I think, I don't know, it, it seemed like some of it, like you said, last year, there was a few games, not many, because they weren't good. The roster was really bad, one of the worst we've ever seen. Um, but there were still a couple games where, like, yeah, if you had competent coaching, you probably should have won that game. Um, so he, he, you're right. He was definitely on, he was definitely on borrowed time. He didn't do a whole lot, uh, didn't do himself a whole lot of favors. And we came into this season saying, all right, it's, it's shit or get off the pot time. You got to do something this year. And I think we kind of agreed, all right, they'll give him a season because if they were going to fire him, they would have fired him. Right. There wasn't a whole lot of point in the off season. His leash was as short as it could possibly be. So it didn't make sense to me, like, hey, they're going to let him go halfway through this season, because if that was the case, why didn't you just do it at the beginning? Um, but then it sort of just seemed like there was too much dysfunction in the building that was going to you know, stunt some of that progress that they were making. Even if they weren't winning games, they, there was definite progress on the field in certain ways. And, and unfortunately, they took a couple steps back the last couple weeks, and I think it was just sort of at the point where they wanted to sort of stem the bleeding and... And just get 
guys in the rooms that are at least going to try and be on the same page. I think the dysfunction between Hugh and Haley was just too much um, for them to, to, to give a whole lot, and, and they didn't want to you know add any more dysfunction than they needed to. I mean, that's that's kind of the big point here is it was a toxic environment and you did not need to be inside the four walls in Berea to see that. I mean, just the, the sniping and um, it, you could just it, it was it was never cohesive. It just never looked cohesive. And, you know, that that's just never going to be a recipe for success. And the thing that's kind of frustrated me and I think a lot of other people with Hugh Jackson and he had this reputation, I think, coming in here. Um, is that he has a way of tending to, uh, you know, throw people around him under the bus when the going gets tough, whether it's other coaches, whether it's did he players. really did he, did he have that reputation before he came here? He did. Yeah. Did when, he? Okay. when he was I, in Oakland, he, he did. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to argue it. I just I didn't really follow him too closely in Oakland and, and didn't obviously didn't watch a whole lot of Raiders pressers back then. Right. Um, but I don't know. I think, you know me, I sort of clung to Hugh a little bit more than previous coaches because, and I've probably said this before on here, it was the first time the Browns really got, you know, the top guy on their board or so we thought. I mean, sure. It seemed that way at the time. Every It seemed like more than one team probably wanted him back then. And, he chose the Browns and the Browns finally got the guy. So it was like, all right, let's give him a competent roster. They didn't do that for two years. They finally did it. And then they give him half a season. Um, but I think we did see some of those sort of those things that you don't want to see from a head coach, right? You don't, those guys in leadership positions, you don't want to see them pushing the blame on other people. You want to see them take accountability and seem like he'd always sort of take it, but he'd also hedge a lot, right? You'd be like, Oh, you know, that's something I got to do. So-and-so, we're not doing this well enough and this well enough and this well enough. And that's on me. He'd throw that at the end. But it's like, well, you're really just kind of saying it's on someone else. Yeah. Like, you can say it's on me at the end, but we all know you're pointing towards someone else with that comment. Yeah. Um, and that stuff, I think, ripples out. It seemed to me, in general, like the players liked him. I could be off about that because we saw something come out today that Baker wasn't exactly going to miss him. Right. Um, <laughs> but it did seem to me like players liked him. Um, that could just, you know, they probably all say they like everyone that's there while they're there. And then they all say different shit when they leave. Right. I don't take a whole lot of stock in what I hear from either side, honestly, but I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I, I will say I'm glad that they got rid of Haley as well. Um, I'm not going to do a whole lot of, of standing up for Hugh Jackson because his record is what it is. And it, it just kind of, it's hard to defend really, but I think there was a certain point this year, and I don't remember when it was exactly. It was during a game. It was very early on in the season, and someone, um, the offense just looked super boring and, and like it was doing absolutely nothing. And someone said, uh, it, it looks like Haley is out here trying to get Hugh fired so he can get that interim position. <laughs> and that sounds insane, but I don't think that's actually that far off. Um, the fact that he was let go today... Um, and I saw this other theory thrown out that if once Hugh was fired, he said, Hey, if you're not going to give me the interim job, just cut me loose. And they said, okay. Um, which would put a whole lot of stock into that fact that he was just thinking he's going to get in that head seat soon enough. Um, I, I thought the offense was, was absolutely terrible through long stretches, especially first half offense this year has been dreadful. 
Um, so it was nice to finally, I'm okay with both of them leaving. I was going to be really annoyed if Todd Haley was put into the interim position because I, he just didn't seem like he was the guy that was in it to try and help the Browns get better from what I could see from a distance. He was Um, super entertaining on hard knocks, but once the bell rang and the, and the regular season started, it, it, it became very frustrating at times. I may have said this earlier and I, I don't recall if I, I'm sure I've texted it to you, but if you told me that halfway through the season I was going to be really happy with Greg Williams and I was going to be you know furious with Todd Haley I would have said you're crazy I would have thought it would have been the other way around um but that's actually exactly what's happened and now Greg's in the big seat well Greg well only uh I'm I'm sorry I I don't I mean okay so Hugh got fired today and Haley got fired today but let's be honest I don't know what the calendar date is for the Browns week 17 game but the Monday after I'm pretty confident that every single guy in that coach's room is going to be gone yeah I don't disagree but I do think that the guys that are in there um they're trying to get another job right they're not they're not just retiring because they're not gonna be with the Browns anymore um so I expect them to try do the best they can for the Browns um try to Put, make themselves look as good as possible because I think that shit gets around in the league. If you if you come out as that guy who, hey, when things didn't go great, you just mailed it in. Um, I think that's the what's going to be on Haley. I think that I don't I don't know that Haley's going to be super in demand. But if Greg can um, build on what we've done so far this year, I mean the defense has been has kept them in games and it has turned games around for him, even though even when they haven't been winning. So. Um, I think he can probably earn himself another job and that's probably what he's going to try and do. So I expect that those guys will at least be professionals about it. I didn't really have any faith that Haley would be. And when you're trying to develop these young guys, a team that's as young as the Browns, you still want them getting better. You can't just mail in the last eight weeks because the season's going to be a failure, right? Right. Um, You want those guys to be coached up and you want them to be learning stuff for the next eight weeks. That's really the focus now. Greg, might uh, <laughs> he might land somewhere else, but I don't think beyond this year he's going to be uh, with the Browns in any capacity. So yeah. I don't disagree with you. I think they're at that point where they'll just completely clean house. Um, they'll probably keep that special teams coach. Uh, <laughs> who was who the guy that survived like four different Tabor? Regimes? Tabor, that's it. He's not there now, but they'll bring him back for the next one. They somehow found someone who is demonstrably worse. Um, my God. Uh, anyway, you know, getting back to just the attractiveness of the Browns coaching position, you know, contrast where they're going to be this coming January, especially if they put anything together over these last eight games. I'm not saying like suddenly get back in the playoff race, but stay competitive you know, win a couple games, be interesting like you were for the first few weeks of this year. Um, It's it's a night and day difference from where they were at that point, you know, at at the beginning of this calendar year. Um, You know, you're going to – you have a legitimate quarterback prospect now. Uh, Miles Garrett, you know, knock on wood, he has uh, stayed on the field this year and he's been awesome. You know, Denzel Ward and Nick Chubb have both been playmakers – um, you know, John Dorsey's work in the front office, you know, far more positive than negative. I, I think he's maybe missed on a couple of picks. You know, it'd be nice to be getting something out of that Austin Corbett pick at this point. But um, the, the good is far outweighed the bad. And, yeah, yeah you know, he's done a lot of good. I mean, they've 
they've it's criminal the offensive line that they put out there in front of Baker Mayfield though. Yeah, I mean you can't fix everything at once and you would like to think that not getting your quarterback maimed would be a higher priority, but I suspect that this offseason that is going to be priority number one for them, either that or the receiver room. Um, but, I mean, they're going to have draft picks. They're going to have cap space. They're going to have a lot of assets to work with. I, I mean, if you're a – they're a team that's trending. You know, I, I know they've kind of hit a stumbling block here over the last few weeks, and, you know, it, Hugh Sealing as a head coach here had kind of become pretty evident. Um, but otherwise, I do think that moving forward, this is a really uh, attractive job for once. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the assets on the roster and and Dorsey being the guy in charge, it definitely looks attractive on surface. I wonder if like and we wonder this every time this happens, but does this just seem like a, a stable organization that if you're a an in-demand coaching candidate you're gonna want you know on your resume i think that I was one know. of the biggest I reasons i think that was one of the biggest reasons that hugh uh got eight games this year and didn't get fired after last year it was because i think uh, the ownership felt a real stigma being attached to them in terms of always being the owners that are that are constantly firing coaches every other year it's sort yeah. of a catch-22, though, right? Like, you can't get those guys unless you look stable, but it's hard to look stable unless you get one of those guys. It's, right. It's hard to it's hard to really say I'll, whether it's picking out of the egg. And I'll be honest, like, if you look through the coaches that Jimmy Haslam has fired over the last few years, I still, to this day, I still think Rob Chudzinski was the only one who really got shafted. I mean, his one year here, it wasn't great. I think they went 4-12 and lost, like, their last five games or something like that. But um, it was one year. It was one year, and it w- yeah. we've seen coaches survive much worse. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things, though, that, like, even even saying that, you know, it still is, hey, this is the franchise that fires guys every other year. And they really didn't want to have to do that, I don't think. And they wanted to give Hugh every chance to succeed. They let him replace his defensive coordinator, um, which that still goes down as an all-timer that Ray Horton – got fired by the Browns. They were still paying him after he got fired. And while they were still paying him from the first time he was here, they brought him back and then fired him again after one year. Um, yeah, that's, I don't know how many times that's happened. It's, they they it's let him replace little, the no. special teams guy. They brought in an offensive coordinator. Um, you know, the GM changed. I mean, there, there, was, there was a lot of, uh, you know, turnover around him. And I mean, he was, you know, at some point you run out of those, uh, you know, so I, you know, I feel like they wanted to give him every chance to, to pull himself out of it. And it just became clear over these last few weeks that man, it just ain't happening. So onward and upward, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it'll be interesting. I, I don't know. What do we expect the rest of the season? Do we expect them to look better? I'll be honest. I might, um, it just seemed like so many guys like sort of not on the same page. It's it's entirely possible that the guys that are in there now just sort of come in and do their jobs now, and there's not as much there's no none of that stupid infighting or or any of that stuff anymore because quite frankly they all know they're not going to have jobs at the end of the year. It would so. make <laughs> it would make my day if we could just have someone on the sidelines 
who I don't feel like would get outfoxed in game management by a 13 year old playing Madden. Like I, I just, that, that like the thing, the classic example of this was yesterday at the end of the first half, Pittsburgh's moving it down the field and we were just content to let the clock run and let them take up the entire rest of the first half, knowing that Pittsburgh was also going to get the ball to start the second half. And you meanwhile, take your timeouts into halftime and you don't get to carry those over. Like, any coach who's got, you know, half a functioning brain is going to start using timeouts so he can get the ball back and, and try to, you know, do something there. And, you know, that just didn't even occur to him. And, you know, they ask him about it after the game. I don't remember that. I, clearly he remembered that and he just didn't want to talk about it. I mean, we'll, we'll get to Ty Lue in a minute, but that's uh, one of his favorite moves from the last couple of years when somebody would ask him about something he didn't want to talk about is, oh, I don't really remember. Um, but... I mean, that's that that's that's a horrible look. It, it's a bad mistake and, you know, trying to just brush it off like that afterwards and just so many examples of things like that over his two and a half years here. It's just, you can't have that. If we could just get somebody in here for the rest of this year who can, like, you know, adequately manage a game and, you know, have people lined up on kickoffs and, you know, cover the basics... It, I feel like that would be a step in the right direction. Yeah, I'll say for as much, I don't know, sort of leeway, as long a leash as he got, Hugh didn't do himself a whole lot of favors in, you know, in press conferences and stuff. No! Um, <laughs> and that's probably the most, yeah, there was a lot of, lot of problems during the games on the field and whatnot and game management and all that sort of stuff. But he didn't. He, he seemed like he got, he said the wrong thing every single time. Um, and ultimately that was probably the biggest reason, maybe not ownership or, or the front office, but those of us, you know, who that's all we really see of him. Um, you lose the faith of the public at that point. (laughs) Exactly. You have a lot of fans sitting at home, like this fucking guy is running our team right now. And, and when, when ownership hears that constantly from the people who are, you know, paying them money to watch that product. You're not, you got to do better than that. I mean, you can fake that. You don't necessarily, you could, you'll get a lot of leeway on the field, but if you're like, when you're actually talking to people, you're not instilling any confidence in them at that point, you pretty much already lost. I think Yeah, it's, it's not great all around. Um, yeah, I don't remember that is never going to really be a great answer. No. To anything really. No. All right. Do we want to move on, uh, to the other head coach firing in Cleveland yeah. in the past 36 hours? Yeah, why not? All right, well, the, the ball got rolling on all this with the news that six games into the season, the Cavs are parting ways with Ty Lue. And uh, the last time that you and I were on here, we were previewing the Cavs season. I think we were trying to have modest expectations, thought this could be a fun year, if not a championship season by any means. Yeah, let me know when that fun stuff starts. (laughs) You haven't missed anything on that front yet. Um, About as bad of a first week and a half to a season as you could possibly have. Uh, Very disappointing. Um, And it's where you saw the Browns coaching staff get done in by infighting and disagreement. It kind of is a similar situation, I think, from what we're hearing with the Cavs, they're, you know, we, we saw over the summer, 
It was, you know, we're not tanking. You know, we believe in our core. We're going to, we're going to keep contending. We think we can make a, a push for the playoffs. And, um, you know, we've got veterans that we believe in. I think Kevin Love was largely sold on, on veterans getting a chance to continue playing here when uh, he was offered that max extension. Um, I don't know if that was a full max. He, he made a, an ungodly amount of money on his extension, and we'll leave it at that. Um, and after two games, you know, word gets out that the front office tells Ty Lue, well, we're going younger. And I got to be honest, that in and of itself, I thought was really weird. Um, it, you know, everything's turned to complete shit since then. But, you know, it's easy to forget now. Those first two games, those were road games against playoff teams. Toronto very easily could win the East this year. And the Cavs were fairly competitive in both of them. I thought they made decent showings. Um, and I, it, I wonder why. The front office was in such a hurry to to pull the plug on things after those two games. Obviously, it got much worse after that, but at that point, that was really strange. And, uh, you know, it just really wasn't handled well by all accounts. The, the you know, few veterans, I think it was Channing Fry and JR and Corver were pulled aside. But, you know, the rest of the team really wasn't brought into the loop. And they figured it out on their own when they saw Colin Sexton coming into the game uh, first off the bench in the home opener. And that's really not a good way to uh, communicate things with your team. So that was kind of a mess. And then a game later, Ty Lue's coming out saying, I'm going back to my veterans. So he was pretty clearly defying orders from the front office. And at that point, I think the situation became pretty much untenable. Yeah, it's, I, I don't know. The, the weirdest thing to me just feels like the timing. Like it six games into a season, that's a short leash for an NFL season. Right. Um, yeah. And that's if you, if you don't think he's the guy for where this team is right now. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to argue too much. I guess whatever. I, it would take more than one episode for me to air out all the problems I have with how uh, Dan Gilbert runs his organization. But <laughs> um, it's, it just doesn't, I don't know. It, it feels really weird. Not a place. What do you ex- like? What are you expecting then for this season? Um, and then, um, Larry Drew is even hesitant to take the interim job. I don't blame him at all. I for can't that. blame we, him at all. We no. can get to that next, but yeah, I, it's sort of the weird thing. Like there I'm, is a I'm not the day. interim coach. I'm the voice of the team right now. I, I, you know what, when, when they do the pregame introductions, I want Ahmad to come out and say the, the voice of the Cavs, but like, how do you announce that? Like you have to call him the interim coach, right? Yeah. Yeah. You just, you probably don't. I don't know. Maybe you just leave the title out of it. And Larry Drew. <laughs> and leading the team tonight from the bench, Larry Drew. Um, but it's weird because there was a point today where of the three teams in Cleveland, two of them have active seasons going on right now, and neither one of them had a head coach. Right. Like during the season. Um, it's, I don't know. It's, it's yeah, only in Cleveland, oh, hilarious. Um, but it kind of, it's, I don't know. I, I don't have a whole lot of insight, honestly, to the Ty Lue thing as much as I do for the, the Hugh Jackson thing because the Hugh Jackson thing was kind of boiling over, right, at this point. And I think the Ty Lue thing caught everybody sort of off guard, um, mostly because of the timing. Like, yeah, the season started poorly, but we had fairly low expectations to begin with. So 
the thing that the Cavs, I, I want them to to have to answer for now is who do they want to be this year? What what are they trying to get out of this season? You've got two pretty distinct factions within your roster, and you're trying to basically serve two masters here with the way you're going about things. You know, and Kobe Altman, even today in his press conference, or when he was talking with reporters at at practice about this, even still, you know, they, they couldn't pin down an answer from him. It's like, you know, we're going to, you know, keep looking at this as we move along. And, and, you know, it bothers me that we don't really have a clear answer on that. You know, um, you've got veteran players who I think are still capable of doing things like, um, you know, obviously not Kevin, Mo- Kevin Love for the next month or so, you know, just to make this bad situation even worse, he's going to be out with the foot injury. But, you know, you, you've got, on the one hand, your organization saying we want to compete for a playoff spot. And on the other hand, you know, we, oh, we want to go young. You know, I, I, as a fan, would not be offended if you just came out and said, look, we had a great run over the past four years. We just lost the greatest player in the history of our franchise, probably the greatest player in the history of the league. Our roster was built to compliment him and we need to restructure who we are. We need to figure out who's going to be able to lead us into the next, you know, era of our franchise. It's going to be bumpy. We need to learn a lot about ourselves here and we're going to play our asses off, but um, you know, stick with us. I mean, that's all you need. Like you don't need to like bullshit us. You know, we're, we're, we watch the same games that, that the front office is watching here. And that's the thing that's frustrating to me. Yeah, but when you're trying to sell tickets, I would be less insulted if you just like, as a ticket buyer, if you just made it clear. Because like I'm telling you, like what they're doing now, it ain't working. Like that building has sounded like a morgue. It's been awful. And that's a good point. You're not getting anybody to to the arena right now because they no. think they, because they think you're putting a contender out there. If you just say hey, we're gonna try to place, we're gonna try to be as good as possible with these guys as we can, but we've got to start looking to the future a little bit more. We're not, it's not going to be like it's been the last few years. We got to do it a different way. And that's what we intend to do. Um, so we'd love it if you guys came and watched, yeah, um, grow with we, us here, you know, and, and, get yeah, on board I now. I don't think that's, and you're, you're probably right. I mean, you're not selling 20,000 seats in that building selling, either way. Shit. They weren't selling 20,000 last year. No, but it's, it's, it's noticeably worse this year and you know what i what really struck me in the last home game and what was really depressing is when that game started to spiral and it started to get out of hand and it became clear that it was going to be you know yet another loss there was no booing i mean people weren't even mad it was i mean reality kind of set in it's like you know it would be like you know booing a, a division seven high school football team for getting overwhelmed by playing mentor or something like that. It's just, you know, you're, you're not going to get upset if you don't really think that you have any business winning the game. Anyway, it was the, uh, the Indiana game. And uh, man, that, that was just depressing. It's like, we're beyond the point of even being upset anymore. And, and it's, we're not even two weeks into the season. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the other thing I wanted to talk about with the Cavs and just kind of figuring out who they are and, and what they want to be, you know, there has been, 
I feel like, and I was even guilty of it here in the last 10 minutes, this oversimplification of, you know, going with the old guys versus the young guys. A lot of their young guys are not really that young. And I think we've got a pretty good idea of who they are and more importantly, who they're not. Um, Rodney Hood is in his sixth year. He keeps getting handed chances here. He was traded, you know, we made the trade to bring him in last year. It was, oh, this guy's going to be a perfect complimentary piece around LeBron. You know, regular season, not great. Got handed a spot to start at the two-guard position to open the playoffs. That lasted, I think, one game before the plug was pulled. Over the summer, it was, well, yeah, he's going to be, you know, probably our number two scorer this year. I, I don't know why anyone thought that, and... It hasn't come close to being the case. I think he's shooting 13% from three. You know, Jordan Clarkson, you know, this is his fifth year. I know he's been shooting the ball kind of, you know, pretty well. But, I mean, he kills the flow of your offense. You know, his, he scores. But, I mean, I think, like, the net rating of the team is actually worse with him on the floor because the ball stops with him every time. I mean, it's been killing Colin Sexton. You know, those guys have gotten an ungodly number of minutes together so far. And if you want your point guard, your rookie point guard, to start, you know, getting involved with an offense and, and getting into the flow of the game, putting him with a ball-stopping two-guard who's going to dribble for 12 or 15 seconds ain't working. Um, Sam Decker, you know, this is the one that cracked me up before the home opener, Austin Carr. I saw him tweet something about Decker getting his career started. Sam Decker's in his fourth year in the league. This is who he is and it's not great. So, you know, again, like, you know, these are three guys that have all gotten significant minutes to start the season. And I don't think any of them have any long-term future here. Yeah. And that's sort of the weird thing about this season is, you don't have a whole lot like typically a team in this position you you have you you kind of hope that they've they've got some young guys right kind of like what the browns are you hope that you can see some of these you don't expect a ton of wins but you hope you can see some of these young guys get better the Cavs don't have a whole lot of those guys they have a couple old guys that we all like because they were here with the championship team and then they have some young guys who quite frankly none of us can stand because they're not young enough <laughs> they've got we've seen, four we've yeah. seen too much of them to i think really they've got want to see much more right yeah and that applies to all three of the guys i just mentioned right they've got in my mind four young guys who are still an unanswered question and if you accomplish nothing else this year you need to get a clearer picture on these four jetty sure i i think jetty's the first one sure. He had a a real nice couple of games to start the year, but as things have gotten bad, he's looking like his confidence has gotten shaken a bit. Um, I'm hoping that this reset on the season kind of rejuvenates him. Colin Sexton, I think we're going to see him starting sooner than later. Um, I think he's shown some flashes here and there. I I would like to see him shooting more threes instead of 20-footers. You know, the Cavs... uh, bizarre reliance on mid-range jumpers. I think they're leading the the league in mid-range jumpers uh, uh, attempted this season, which is just not the way the league is going. Um, You know, I need him out on the three-point line a bit more. Uh, You know, I I would say, you know, it's only six games in, you know, but I don't think he's Kyrie, but I also don't think he's Anthony Bennett as far as draft prospects go. He's, you know, there's some hope there. Um you know, the other two that I'm looking at, Ante Zizek, who I think just got his option for next year picked up, um, but like so far has not been in the rotation. I don't think you're gaining anything by not having him play. 
Um, and the fourth one is uh, Nawaba, David Nawaba. And Nawaba, that's just a fun name to say. That is a fun one to say. Um, you know, he's starting to get some minutes. I suspect that given the deficiencies that they have at the defensive end and his reputation for being uh, an aggressive defender, I think he's going to get more minutes. God, I hope he's going to get more minutes because um, to this point, one of the weird things from this summer was he apparently had an offer from Indiana and he turned it down to get more opportunities to play here. And I don't even think he was active for the first game of the season. So um, kind of an odd situation there, but you know, he's got some potential. Um, So, you know, one of the things I think you have to wrestle with is how many young guys can you really evaluate all at once? Because if you're just running a rotation out there of all young guys, um, you know, there's no control in the lab experiment, so to speak. You know, you don't have any veterans in there to kind of steady things. I mean, the the most ideal situation with Colin Sexton would be to like have him in there with a, with, you know, four veterans that can, you know, take the pressure off him, space the floor, give him some room to operate and give him guys to kick to. And, um, you know, maybe you mix in some of these other guys, but uh, yeah, it's it's going to be kind of a fine line to walk this year. Yeah, and we sort of said it at the beginning of the season, though we said, "Hey, this is it's not going to be a whole lot of a whole lot of wins, but it can be fun." Um, this point in the season, obviously, not a whole lot of fun to be had yet. Um, but I don't like you said. There's a couple of young guys that are going to be good to look at um, and check out. But I don't know. It's off, obviously off to a rocky start. We'll see if any if this whole Larry Drew thing even materializes into anything, but I don't know if, if he you know doesn't want to take that interim role. What do they do? Yeah, because nobody else on that coaching staff right now is uh, has any kind of head coaching experience. Um, that that gets real messy real fast. I think Larry Drew knows he's got leverage. I think he knows this season could get real ugly. And not not his fault. He's being thrown into a bad situation here. And, you know, how many more opportunities is he going to get to run a team? You know, do you want to burn one of those on a dead-end situation here? You know, secure the bag. Um, I could tell you the one that, you know, if you want to start looking outside of the organization, it's, uh, you know, we could start getting into more candidates if you want. But, you know, at this time of the year, I mean, this is pretty much the worst time of the year to possibly be looking for any sort of a head coach. <laughs> right. Another um, reason the timing looks a little off. Right. And, you know, the the you know the one guy who decided to conveniently put a story out there today that he is interested in getting into getting back into the NBA and guiding a team and, and helping to develop a team and whatever other bullshit lines he threw out there was uh, good old Rick Pitino. Um, (laughs) that was pretty much my reaction too. like here's the thing if you have it's another one of those sort of catch 22s if there's a guy you can actually get right now there's probably a reason you don't want him (laughs) exactly so uh i don't know that i have i actually just not have a coach i have i personally have history with rick patino at the queue Really, I do. Yes, with uh, when he's with Boston. Yes, so interesting. Gotta hear it. Uh, when I was I in high I school, uh, I went to a game with uh, our buddy John and his dad and another friend of ours. And John's dad had gotten, I think, through a vendor at work or something, some really good seats, like eight to ten rows behind 
the Celtics bench. And it got into the fourth quarter, and during a timeout, uh, the the cheerleaders come out on the floor, and they start throwing those mini balls out into the crowd. And John catches one. And a guy behind us says, hey, I'll give you a dollar right now if you throw this down there and hit Patino during a timeout. And John's thinking about it, thinking about it. Oh, man, I don't know. I can't. And I'm like, just give me the damn thing. So I took the ball, and I whipped it down at the Celtics huddle, and I hit Antoine Walker right in the chest. And (laughs) Patino, this was during a timeout, and Patino stopped what he was doing in the huddle and looked up at our section like he was ready uh, to uh, to maim someone, and uh, I ducked down, and it quickly blew over. To this day, I have no idea how uh, I I did not get thrown out of the uh, the building for that incident. Yeah. Look at you breaking uh, rules and stuff. Yeah, as in, you almost got the kibosh. I yeah, I did. And as I recounted that story at work the next day, someone said, "If you did that for a dollar, I'd hate to see what you'd do for five. <laughs> uh, that's funny. But um, is the yeah, uh, Patino just but that's sort of Patino's thing. He'll look at you and then someone afterwards that he's that he grew up with probably take out your kneecaps outside. Well, I'll put it to you this way. If he ends up getting hired by the Cavs, I'll have no problem going down there and sitting eight rows behind their bench and throwing something at him again. Oh, um, yeah, it, that'll, that'll be that'll be ugly if you want. Those seats will be available, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, for, for a hell of a deal, too. Um, but if. I don't know if you're looking to keep fans moderately interested, you know, relatively based on the product. And let's be honest, the product's not going to be that great no matter what. But if you're looking to keep people interested, Rick Patino is not the way to go. Like that's, I don't, I don't really know how else to put it. He's just <laughs> not a guy. I don't think anybody. I don't think anybody likes him anymore. What would his speech be? Twenty games into his tenure. Would it be oh, oh Larry Nance Sr. isn't walking through that door? Mark Price isn't <laughs> walking through that door? Oh, eight, wait, yes, actually he is because we play Denver tonight. Um. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, I don't know, if of all the like available, relatively well-known basketball coaches, I don't know that there's one I'd want less than Rick Pitino. Yeah, 100% agreement from me. Give me Stan Van Gundy. He'd be fun. I actually think Stan Van Gundy is fun. I, I My bitterness towards him from the 09 Eastern Conference Finals has mostly subsided. The rest of that team, on the other hand, no. But but Stan Van, I, I'm, I'm okay with, weirdly. Um, no, if you want to go to uh, college coaches, uh, I told you I had one name in mind that I would be interested in with the Cavs, and they could not get him right now. It would have to be after the college season is over. Um and that would be Jay Wright of Villanova. And I just wanted to throw that out there now because I wanted on the record on the thousand to one chance that he actually gets the job next spring. Interesting. Um, is there anything specific that makes you say that name? He, uh, well, yes, two things. Number one, I feel like he has got the demeanor to work well with an NBA roster. Um, it's one of the same traits that I maybe think Brad Stevens could work out in the NBA. Um, and number two, I feel like he is a forward-thinking coach. I was actually just reading a story about him on The Ringer today talking about how he has kind of embraced this, you know, where the game of basketball in general is going with three-point shooting. And, you know, he's kind of a forward-thinking coach. And really, whether we're talking about the Cavs position 
or to bring this full circle back to the Browns, you got two very important hires that are coming here in Cleveland sports in the next few months. There's two traits I want in the guys that get hired for both of those jobs. I want people that are forward thinking and can see where their respective sports are going and aren't trying to bring in antiquated concepts. It's the same reason that drove me nuts with what the Cavs have been doing through the first six games of the year with not getting three-point shots up and settling for a bunch of long twos because that's not where the NBA is going. Um, You know, I look at what's successful in the NFL. You know, Sean McVay, you know, you look at what the Rams are doing. It's it's somebody who's forward-thinking and is one step ahead of the curve instead of trying to play catch-up. Um, and you know, the other, uh, the, the other trait that I want, and this is kind of a theme that you've kind of touched on quite a bit throughout this discussion that we've had here is I want someone who's in lockstep with the rest of the organization. You know, we, we saw what kind of did in Ty Lue with the Cavs. We saw what did in with, did Hugh in with the Browns and it's infighting and that, you know, that's not going to work. I, I want an organization, whether it's the Cavs or the Browns, preferably both, that has an organizational plan, has everybody else on the same page, and has everybody in their respective roles executing what they need to do to get that one vision carried out. Yeah, and I, I think those are two. Those are two. I, I don't know. Those are almost givens, I think. You don't want to hire a guy that you don't think is going to mesh well with the rest of the organization. Um, they need to be priorities, though, and I don't feel like they have been. Okay. You don't think Ty Lue was? Ty was, um, but I, I think at the time he was hired, and I think for the coaching job that he did in 2016, he will never get the credit that he deserves. Um, but I think with the change in direction and whatever this new direction is that they want to go now, it it seems at this point, you know, he doesn't fit what they want to do now. Um, I'm not sure they want they know what they want to do now, but whatever it is, I, I don't think he's it. So that's kind of been a change, and it sucks, and I don't think it's fair to him, and I think he deserved uh, a more graceful exit out of here. And like you said, it should have been over the summer. I think it's insulting to saddle him with this roster of mismatched pieces, give him six games, two of which the best player on the team is not even playing, and then pull the plug. Um, but, yeah, it, you need to clearly define your vision as an organization and and find somebody that's going to fit that. Okay, so you gave us one for the Cavs. Who do you like for the Browns, then? I'm going to defer to you on this one. I gave you a Cavs guy. You give me a Browns guy you want. A guy that I want? Yes. I'm. Everybody is jumping on Lincoln Riley because he coached Baker Mayfield. Um, I will say I don't think there's um, I don't think there's a whole lot of chance that he actually comes here. So I that, that doesn't really it would interest me. I'm not going to say I'm against it. But I don't think there's a very good chance that that he's the pick. Um, I'd almost I don't want to say for sure, but I think Matt Campbell probably intrigues me a little bit more. He is a guy from Ohio. I didn't um, know that until today. I, yeah, I knew he, he had a good pedigree with what he's doing in his current job over there at Iowa State. I did not know he was from around here. And 
truth be told, I don't know that that matters a whole lot at the NFL level. If we were talking Urban Myers retiring, who do we want to replace him? Matt Campbell might be a shoe in quite honestly, um, because of, you know, you need that networking and stuff to recruit. But in, in the NFL, if you can coach, you can coach. I don't know that it matters a whole lot. Um, the other one we heard that I heard today was Dave Tobe, the, uh, special teams guy for the chiefs. Um, that might be good because he's got that relationship with Dorsey. Um, I don't know that, and maybe the fact that a special teams guy isn't ideally going to be super hands-on with offense or defense. I'll let his coordinators work. Maybe that's a good thing. Um, because I think a lot of times when you get those hot offensive coordinators or defensive coordinators, they can, um, they can sort of stay in that, right? Like we saw that with Hugh where he was head coach, but he was also calling the offense. Um, and then maybe don't disconnect and sort of see the big, big picture stuff as well as they should. Um, so maybe that's good. I, I don't know. Beyond that, it's sort of too soon to tell. I'm I'm honestly always a little hesitant bringing those guys from the college ranks because I think the game is is more different than maybe people like to let on. See, I actually think it's getting closer. It's definitely so- getting it's definitely getting closer. You see a lot more of that run pass option type stuff, and I, I that gets thrown out so much. I'm not even sure most people know what it is. Um, but you look at like the way that Sean McVay calls it in L.A., everybody looks at him and he's, you know, probably the biggest name in coaching right now just because of how much how different he is from what we're used to seeing. And he runs a lot of that. He runs an offense that has some very college type fundamentals in it. But I don't know. I, I don't think Lincoln Riley's coming. I think everybody's saying that because it seems really obvious because he's had success and he coached the quarterback in college. But outside of that, I don't know. I feel like everybody's just throwing a bunch of names up on the wall, seeing what sticks and hoping that they can be the guy that said, this is who's coming. Well, hopefully Rick Petito doesn't get that job either. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> you saw Rick Petito strolling the sidelines first in the stadium in that white suit in end of December. That actually might be worth it. <laughs> I might actually do it just for that vision. Well, well, it's, well it's instead raining. of a mini ball, I throw a dog biscuit at him. <laughs> right, it's raining down. He gets hit with a biscuit from the dog pound. Um, I've, I'm not totally sure I wouldn't sign on for that just for the entertainment value. But <laughs> Oh, dear. <laughs> but I do think sort of the same things you just said. He's got to be a guy who's – and that's sort of why I'm a little hesitant with like a guy like Tobe. I want someone who is um, who's different, who's like you said, forward thinking. And that's let's be honest, that's kind of one of those boring, lame buzzwords you hear in like business seminars, right? But it, it in this sort of instance, it really matters because the game, the NFL, like five years from now, is going to look very different than it looks right now. Because it looks um, right now, it looks different from what it was five years ago. Yeah, and but I mean, over the last I don't know fifteen twenty years, it hasn't changed that much. Aspects of it have, but I think you're right. Over the last like couple of years, it's changed a lot, and it's only going to continue happening. I think they're in sort of because the rule changes have a big part in that too. Um, those play a major part in the way that offenses specifically have changed it's an offensive league now um defense obviously is always going to be important but you need to score points and you need to have a a guy that's creative 
and progressive and thinking outside of the box. There I go with my own buzzwords. Um, <laughs> Bring some synergy. And <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and doing things differently than it's always been done. Um, Cause that's what you're seeing in LA and it's worked like immediately. McVeigh didn't have a, a, like a short ramp, like a long ramp up period, right? It worked immediately. Yeah. He's got some really good players, but he's also looking at things differently and he's maximizing those players as opposed to having those players, you know, maximize his system. So that's what I want to see. I want a guy who's going to look at the game in a different way and look at who's on the team and get the absolute most out of those guys instead of the other way around. Well, I feel pretty good about John Dorsey's ability to evaluate players. So I hope he is given the same leeway to evaluate coaches and, and has the same amount of input in making that hire as well. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think, and it, I don't know. We haven't, he obviously didn't hire you. He hasn't done a whole lot on that front here. So um, yeah, let's hope that he has, I don't know, honestly a little more success with this search than he did with the players so far. He's done good on players, but like you said, a couple misses. Um, hopefully this one, he, he's able to get a guy in. And I think he's going to have to do a little convincing to when he, once he identifies that guy, he's going to have to talk him into taking this job in the first place. But um, I personally think he will. I think, I think the organizational dysfunction is going to, if you were an agent and you had, cause that's who's makes, that's who's really talking these guys into it, right? If you were an agent and you had a, a client, let's say it was Sean McVay two years ago, right? He was a big name hire. If you could take the Browns versus, I don't know, all but maybe five or six teams, the Browns just look like one of those organizations that they're not there yet. There's a good chance, even if you're good, there's a good chance you're still out of a job in a couple of years and you have that mark on your resume. I, you know, I think that's, you know, they, they've not completely outrun that stigma and that label. But I think they're a lot closer to having accomplished that than they were at this point in January. And that's yeah, why. Yeah, they definitely are closer. But do you want to be the guy that takes that chance? I'd be more willing to now. Having, having a, a competent general manager and a quarterback who's shown that he can be really good, uh, I think are the two most important things if you're a, a coach. Uh, has he shown that he can be really good? Yeah, I'd say so. Baker? Yeah. He's shown he can be okay. He I'm still on the Baker hype train. Really good. And I'm not saying I'm not either, but to say that he has already shown that he can be really good, that you sound like a, you sound like me, Browns fan, um, <laughs> when I'm not being negative, like other end of the spectrum. I, I, I would I'm, be not, con- I'm not ready to say that he can, that we know for a fact that he can be really good. All right. Well, I think he definitely has potential. I think if we get the right coach in there, and yeah, I think you're right. If they get, if they identify the guy who, um, they can find the right guy, that guy will look at Baker and say, "Yeah, I can make that guy really good." Okay, that I that I'm on board with. I think that's possible. But to say that that for sure Baker, we know that he can be really good right now. It's still got to see a little more. I think. All right, that's fair. Whew! What an hour. <laughs> yeah yeah it's i don't know it is it, these topics we sort of touched on them and it's like oh yeah they got awesome about their coaches that's sort of it right no we we managed to squeeze 55 minutes out of it yeah well it's never boring here and uh 
some some weeks are more interesting than others and I don't know we're we'll see how things go here in the future I this I, I'm I, I'm really interested I, I feel like both of these teams that we've talked about tonight are at a real crossroads and I feel like the Browns are really close to getting it right and their coaching hire is going to be extremely important for getting them over that hump finally. Um, and I feel like the Cavs have some real decisions to make and they've got some real tough decisions to make. And uh, it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a longer process because, you know, you're not going to solve this coaching thing, you know, in the second week of the regular season. So. All right. I'll put, I'll put this on you right now. Yep. Of the Cavs and the Browns, and we'll, we'll I don't know, close on this. Cavs and the Browns, which organization do you feel like is in a better place right now? The Browns, 100%. It, I, and it's not close, I don't think. 100%. Yeah. Okay. I agree with you. I I think they, they both look somewhat dysfunctional, but the Browns have more of those pieces that you need for the future than the Cavs do yes. uh, across the board. So, yeah, I'm with you. All right, and it has, it's been a while since we've been able to say that, but here we are. Yeah. All right, my man. I think that... I uh... think that about does it. Two huge stories, and we uh, I think we said all Fair we enough. need to say on them. All right, as always, you can subscribe to the Nail in the Coffin on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're also on Stitcher, and tune in. Throw a like at our Facebook page. Facebook.com slash The Nail Podcast. Uh, we're on Twitter at The Nail Podcast. Stream us on waitingfornextyear.com. And uh, if you are subscribed to us on one of those podcast listening apps, uh, throw, us a, uh, throw us a review on there. That helps us out quite a bit. We've gotten a nice response over there. And, uh, yeah, I think that will do it for us for this week, a busy week. And uh, who knows what we'll be talking about uh, next week. Uh, it's Monday right. night. I know it's it's Monday. Busy week it's, it's, it's Monday. Monday it feels night. like yeah. <laughs> yeah, the next five days better be. Oh God, I hope so. Um, what do you say next week we talk uh, a little bit of Buckeyes? We haven't done that in a while. Yeah. All right. Okay. We can do that. Let's see. Yeah, I think this week will. I don't know. I guess it's Nebraska, so it shouldn't tell us a whole lot. But this week should tell yeah, us a little bit. I think Terry Francona's job safe, so we probably uh, don't have any more coach firings around here coming up anytime soon. So hopefully God. the decks will be cleared for the Buckeyes. God but uh, in the meantime, for Travis Yuley, this is Tom Valentino. It's been the nail in the coffin, and we'll talk to you again soon. The Korean War has sadly been known as the Forgotten War, but half a century earlier, the United States was locked in a bloody conflict in Asia that's been all but erased from the history books. Hi, I'm Alex Hasty, the host of Ohio vs. the World, an American history podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. In our newest episode, we speak to experts about the Philippine-American War, America's first Asian counterinsurgency conflict. The heroes, the villains, will discuss President McKinley, Admiral Dewey, the vicious brutality of the fighting, and the scandals and war crimes that nearly sunk Theodore Roosevelt's presidency. Check out our show, Ohio vs. the World, on the Evergreen Podcast Network for our new episode about America's most forgotten war. Now back to the show.